1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where we're going to begin. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 16 through 22. I got no juice back there. All right, am I on now? All right, I'll start that again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16, 16 through 22. The Bible says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesyings. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. I want to challenge you with this uh, topic tonight. The war of wills. The war of wills. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this. Lord God, I thank you for your word. And thank you that we can read it and understand it. And apply it to our lives. And uh, Lord, I pray that you just help me tonight to communicate clearly. Uh, the thoughts of this passage uh, that I would not uh, impose my uh, viewpoints on it, but I would just be be preaching what is here and that you would use it in each of our lives uh, for your glory tonight. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Growing up, uh, my parents had a will for me. And that was something that had to be carried out every day. Uh, when I think back in my childhood, the, the years that I think back to are mostly of Maine. When we lived in Maine, we had goats, we had chickens, we had cats and a dog. We had many animals. And it was the will of my parents to take care of those animals. Every morning we had chores that were assigned to us, responsibilities that were given to us that we were to fill, fulfill every morning. And that included hay, haying the animals, graining the animals, making sure the goats were milked twice a day, whether they stepped in it or not. You had to deal with the, deal with the issues. You had to lug buckets of water. Um, I was, I think, six or seven and I could carry two five-gallon buckets half full of water. I was a hot rod, let me tell you. Building them guns, man. But that was the will of my parents for me every day. For me to look at that chore as a one-time thing would be a false impression of what the will of my parents was for me. If I, on Monday, went out and did the chores for the goats and the chickens and the dog. And then on Tuesday, I decided, you know what, I did their will yesterday, so I'm good. I've done their will. It's over. That would be a wrong impression, and there would be consequences for my lack of fulfilling their will on Tuesday. Sometimes we get this concept and idea in our minds that the will of God is the vacation will, where I can do it Monday or Sunday, and then on Tuesday... I'm good. Or, how about this? I'm going to do God's will at a point in time, and then I fulfilled God's will, and for the rest of my life, it's roller coaster ride on the way down. We get, we get tunnel vision a lot of times, we, and we look to one point in time. Some, for some people, it's marriage. When I, when I get married, I'll have fulfilled the will of God for my life, and, and everything is pointing toward that, and, and, then, then, and then I'll have done God's will, and then I'm done. Then it's just... I'm coasting from there. For some people, it's, I'm going to find my career path. And when I find my career in life, I'll have done God's will, and then I'm I'm just coasting from then on, man. I'm I'm good. I think that's especially true for young people. I've got to to find what God has for me, and once I've fulfilled that, I'm, I'm, I'm good. And then it's going to be easy from there. And that's really a wrong perspective. The right perspective is the way that we fulfilled our parents' will as a child. It was continual. It was day to day. There were things that were expected of us. Fulfilling the will of God is not a point in time, but it is rather 
full time, for all time, and every time. It's full time in that you don't get a break from it. It's all day, 24-7. You're supposed to be doing the will of God. It's for all time. From now to glory, I'm supposed to be doing the will of God. Everyone who is a child of God is to do the will of God. Uh, when we get to heaven, we're going to be doing the will of God perfectly. Okay? We're going to have perfect bodies, and we're going to be rejoicing around the throne and doing the will of God. When, we, when, Jesus, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, okay, and in that model prayer, he said, um, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? So they're praying for God's will to be done down here. Okay? And then they were supposed to be fulfilling that themselves. Um, that's how we are to pray. That's how we are to think. That should be our desire. From now to glory, we're to do God's will. And every time. Every time a situation arises in which we have to determine whether to do our will or God's will, our responsibility is to do God's will. So in this passage, there are several things. And I've already preached the first three at the Fall Fantasia, so I'm not going to go into all those points. I'm just going to give a review for those who weren't there. Because this is all one thought. This whole passage, both of these passages, actually two paragraphs here, are the will of God. It's not some unknown, ambiguous thing out there, the will of God. This is the will of God. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, quench not the Holy Spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. That is the will of God. And that's how we need to, that's how we need to look at it and view it. He gives us very clear instruction. The first thing there that he lists, rejoice evermore. And just, just by way of review, I'm going to run through this pretty quick. There are several things that happen in our lives that get us to stop rejoicing evermore. But when we do, we are no longer fulfilling the will of God. We are fulfilling our will based on our feelings and our emotions. Some things that cause us to not rejoice evermore would be problems with natural law. Time management. When you get up late and you're in a hurry to get to work and you're frustrated, you're not rejoicing evermore. If you would have got up in time, you would, have, you would have made it in time and you wouldn't have had all that, that stress and frustration. Uh, traffic patterns. We get, we get frustrated at traffic. At, an, at a construction site, I'll be dragging a cord through the, through the job site and I'll have the, the tail end dragging behind me and it always gets hung up. And, oh, I get frustrated. That's a natural law thing. That's going to happen. shouldn't be frustrated about that. But we, get, we, get, we stop rejoicing evermore because we're in conflict with natural law. It doesn't make any sense for us to be doing that to, and to, to view life that way. Tendencies uh, of nature, uh, these things can cause us to be frustrated. But the Bible says rejoice evermore. And so we need to control our natural inclinations to not rejoice evermore. Things that, other things that can cause us, problems with natural law, problems with other people. Sometimes other people get us downright frustrated and angry. Some people do us wrong, right? They hurt us in some way. Oh, I'm off the hook then, right? I was wronged, and so now I don't have, I don't have to rejoice evermore. Mm-mm. It's the will of God to rejoice evermore. It's not we don't deal with the situation. We, you do. Okay? God, God has given us specific instructions, especially in the church, how to resolve conflicts and, and wrongs in the church, Matthew 18. Okay, But in the process, our attitude shouldn't be one of anger or resentment or bitterness. Right? Rejoice evermore, even in those things. Pray without ceasing. Pray every day. That would be a good way to summarize that commandment. The Bible says that we're to provide provide for our own houses, us, uh, we men, that's our responsibility. Okay? So the way that we do that is we go to work 8 to 5. Okay? You can't be praying every minute of every day at work because okay? you have a contractual obligation to your employer to fulfill the work that you have been given so that you can get the paycheck to provide for your family. 
right? So that, that doesn't work. It, it, it is practically praying every day. That's what praying without ceasing. It is the character of your life. Every day you're going to spend some time in prayer. And prayer involves praise. It re- involves meditation. It involves requesting of God for certain things. But those requests need to be according to the will of God. How do we know that? How do we know what's the will of God? Right? If, it's against, if we're requesting something that's against God's explicit commandments, then we shouldn't be praying that. We shouldn't be requesting that. Okay? So pray without ceasing. We're going to pray every day. Meditation. That's something that the world is, has uh, given us a bad impression of, and um, we've reacted wrongly to it, I think. Uh, we think. When we think of meditation, you think of like Zen yoga meditation or some kind of karate something, something Eastern religion of some kind. That's a biblical thing to do, meditate. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. Okay? We're not going to empty our mind of nothing and just think of nothing. Okay? That, that's not biblical. Okay? But thinking and meditating on the Word of God, absolutely we should be doing that. And practically, the time that we should be doing that is during our prayer time. We're, we're, we're praying. We're, yes, we're requesting things of God. We're, pr- we're praising God for the things that He's done. But we're also spending some time thinking about what we read and allowing Him to work in our hearts and our minds. If we go full steam 100% from dawn to dusk and we don't give any time for God to... to speak to us in, in quiet, when, when we're quiet and alone and we're, and we're just thinking about the things of God intentionally, you're not, going to, you're not going to get out of the Word of God what you could have. Okay? And that's a commandment from God. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That's part of praying. So pray without ceasing. That's the will of God. In everything, give thanks. This is the will of God. An attitude of us versus reality can sometimes get, get a hold of us and cause us to be unthankful. What do I mean? It's really covetousness in wishing a, a different scenario on my life. I wish that I, I had uh, had that job. If I'd have had that job, then I'd be thankful. Or if I could make this much money, then I'd be thankful. Guess what? Thankful people are both rich and poor. It has nothing to do with it. It has to do with, will I obey the will of God and be thankful? Uh, giving of thanks doesn't come naturally. Right? Giving thanks requires some specific thought and effort. It takes stopping what we're doing and in a situation, think of things to be thankful for. You have to look for thanksgiving. It's not going to come slap you in the face. Okay? You have to look for things to be thankful for. Understand um, beyond our current circumstances. Understanding beyond our cir- current circumstances could cause us to be thankful. If we thought, think about where we are today in this great abundance that we enjoy every day and think about how that around the world People are meeting in churches for fear, in fear of their lives. People are meeting in secret. People don't have the entire word of God. People don't have the ability <clears throat> to, to speak freely and witness freely. Every time they open their mouth and try to present the gospel to somebody over in communist China, they're putting their life on the line. And we don't know how many people are stuffed in a gulag somewhere you never hear from them again. Yeah, that's still happening. You, we can kind of look down the pipeline here in our country and see the, the beginnings of, of some scary times coming, right? We definitely should be thankful for the, the great blessings that we have. So those are the things that uh, I spoke on earlier. And that brings us to uh, point number four in this war of wills. It is the will of God that we quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. The Spirit of God has a very important role in fulfilling the will of God. The Spirit of God guides us into all truth. I want you to consider John 16, 
7 through 14. And if you want to turn there and I'll read it, you can follow along as I read if you like. Uh, John 16, 7 through 14 says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, that they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. So he's talking about the, the work of the Spirit of God in salvation there. Okay, for the salvation of men's souls. He continues on. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. So he's going to guide us into all truth. The Spirit of God is our guide throughout life in order to know what is the truth and what is error. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Okay, so the Spirit of God is going to guide us into all truth. John 17, 17 says, The word is the truth. The word of God is the truth. Jesus said in, in John fourteen six, he said, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, in other passages, John 1, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In John 1, 5, it says, These three bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, I think, or Holy Ghost, one of the two. All right? The Word, the truth, is the physical manifestation of God. When Jesus was here, on earth. He lived on this earth perfect sinless life for 33 and a half years. He was the physical manifestation of truth on the earth. Everything that he said was the truth. And that that's what that the, what that uh, truth in John there is since the word was made flesh. The truth was made flesh and dwelt among us. All of these all of these all of the things of God, God is a spirit. But he reveals himself in physical ways to us. Why? Because we have a, we understand things in physical terms. So he reveals us, he reveals himself to us in physical terms. He's given us a physical word, okay, that we can read and understand. We can hold it in our hands. This is the word of God, right? He revealed himself to us in a person of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we understand the physical realm. And so that we would understand. And that's why uh, the Spirit of God, He doesn't speak of Himself. Okay? God tried to make it as easy and plain for us to understand as possible. He gave us physical uh, things to look at and, and to hold in our hands, and then He gave us the Spirit of God that would teach us and instruct us about those things that we can have and that we can, we can hold and that we can see. Uh, this truth has been revealed to us in, in a number of ways. I already, already mentioned um, Jesus. He was the He is the truth, the Word of God. That is the truth. Um, creation, okay. That the, the truths of creation, the laws of nature. Um, those are things that we can see and feel, and and we can observe. Like yes, there are there are truths. There are patterns in creation, um, and eternal truths that we can observe, and we can understand more about the nature of God. And the Holy Spirit is the one, is the force in our lives that guide us along the path of truth. So to quench Him means what? You're turning away from the truth. To quench the Holy Spirit is to turn away from the truth. If I was to do that in my work, how long do you think I would have a job? I'm talking about in physical terms, in, in, in practical terms. If I lived or, or gave instruction on a job site, 
according to error. I did, I did everything that was the opposite of the truth. Water flows uphill. Let's, let's pipe everything backwards. Uh, let's put the hot wire on the ground bar. We'll see how that works. I wouldn't have a job very long. I wouldn't be a very effective in my job. I would do in, incredible damage at work. How do you think it is that we can quench the Spirit and expect not to do incredible damage in our lives? It doesn't work. The Spirit guides us into all truth. And that's why it's the will of God for us not to quench the Spirit. When we do, we turn away from the truth. And the truth of the matter is, we have a choice in hearing. We have a choice to quench the Spirit or not. When I go from uh, uh, place to place, I uh, use GPS pretty pretty frequently uh, because that's the easiest and most convenient way to do it. But have any of you ever gotten annoyed at the voice of the uh, automation on GPS? Okay, seriously, we're, we're, this is 2020, and we've got this really annoying Tokyo Rose voice in the background. Uh, so I turn it off sometimes. I turn off the sound. I don't want to hear that. And I'll be driving along the road, listening to my talk radio or my podcast or whatever I'm listening to, and I'll look down and, oh boy, I ran by my turn, my turn off there. I quenched the GPS. It was saying, turn here, turn here. Wouldn't, I wouldn't hear it. I turned it off. We can do the same thing with the Holy Spirit. We have a choice. The limitation of the Spirit is our will. God has a will and we have a will. The Spirit of God will always guide us into truth. It's, it's, that, it's that voice in the back of our head that says, this is the right way to go. But we have to hear it. You know something? Listen and silent are spelled with the same letters. It's really important what we talked about earlier about meditating in our prayer, meditating on the Word of God. Whenever we have a, an issue in our, in our lives, maybe a, a situation that has arisen, maybe a decision that we have to make, and we're trying to make that decision, it's important that we seek out the will of God. I mean, we hear preaching on that all the time, but practically, how do you do that? During prayer time, you take some time, quietly, alone, to think about it. Meditate on it. And the Spirit of God will guide you into the truth. He will guide you into the decision that you need to make based on the Word of God. You have, get, you have to get silent so that you can listen. You have to be willing to hear it. And when the Spirit of God does speak, and He will, okay, we have to be willing to obey it. And the message of the Spirit, and I think I've already mentioned this, is always according to the will of God, or the Word of God, I'm sorry. The message of the Spirit is always according to the Word of God. The, the Holy Spirit is not going to give you something contrary to what the Bible has explicitly already stated. Okay? A couple examples. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Okay? Oh, I really think that I should marry him or her. Are they saved? Well, no, but... The Holy Spirit said that I should. Really? Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Oh, well, my, job's, my job, you know, has me work like every other Sunday... But, you know, I, you know, the Holy Spirit said that it would be okay. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. It's not the Holy Spirit. The message of the Spirit is always according to God's Word. And we can quench it if we wish. We can turn it off as we wish, if we wish. But it will cause us heartache. It will cause us destruction. And make no... Uh, mistake about it, you will be departing from the truth. You will not be doing God's will when you quench it. The result of the choice to quench the Holy Spirit is chastening. 
Hebrews 12, 8 through 11 says this, But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. When we quench the Holy Spirit and we decide to do our will instead of God's will, there will be chastening. You can expect it. If there's not chastening, you're not legitimate. You're not saved. You don't have the Holy Spirit. But look what he says. Our fathers, after the flesh, corrected us according to their own pleasure. My parents had a will for me. Okay? It was according to what they understood to be right for me. How much more shall our Heavenly Father correct us, he says, for our profit? God wants to give us good things. His correction is not just because you didn't do what I said. It's not vindictive. It's not controlling. It's for your own profit. It's for your own good. And what's the result of the chastening? If we get it right, if we receive the chastening, it's not joyous at the, at the moment. It seems to be grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, after we're restored, after we repent, it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. When I was a kid and I got in trouble and I got sent to my room, there were times when my mom or dad wouldn't come to the room for 30 minutes. I hated that. You know, you're just, you know, putting them on ice, right? That's, that's the term we use, American use. Of. Put them on ice. Let them, let them stew about it. Let them get psyched out about it, right? You had time to think about what you did, and boy, I was wishing by the time they came in there that I had not done that. Or wishing that I had done that, Right? You didn't do the chores. Oh. But afterward, after the correction was given, I was restored. And that relationship was restored. And my mind was at peace. My rear end kind of hurt, but my mind was at peace. It's the same way with God. When He chastens us, we get it right. The peace of God dwells within us. This is what it says the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's, that's the end result of it. Praise the Lord for His correction. The result is the peaceable fruit of righteousness. The result is also conformity to the image of Christ. And that's what it's all about. Conforming to the image of Christ. Um, Romans 8, 28 says, All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. It's the same idea of what we have right here. If you're not being conformed to the image of His Son, you don't know the Lord. Okay, Because He said, whom He did foreknow, those that are saved, He also did predestinate. Those that are saved... I predestinated them to be conformed to the image of, of my son. I've predestinated them to do my will. They will do my will. Another way he says it, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Okay, if you're not following, if you're not doing God's will, when you receive the um, and, and you're not receiving the chastisement, you're not one of his. But when we receive the chastisement and we get it right, the peaceable fruit of righteousness comes upon us, and we are conformed to the image of Christ. So, quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. Number five, despise not prophesying. Despise not prophesying. To despise 
means to make of no account. To make of no account. To treat it lightly. To esteem it lightly. Um, be flippant about it. It's not a big deal. Prophesying, um, the Greek word is, is uh, the definition for this word is uh, a discourse emanating from divine inspiration and declaring the purposes of God, whether by reproving and admonishing the wicked or comforting the afflicted or revealing things hidden, especially of foretelling future events. Okay, so that's a broad definition of all the things that have to do with prophecy. So the Old Testament prophets, they give us things, they foretold things that are going to happen. Um, the Old Testament prophets also came and pronounced judgment on the kings uh, and the rulers of the, of the people uh, back then. Um, but prophecy is any declaration of the word of God. That's prophecy. Okay? Every time the prophets came, they were always saying, thus saith the Lord, and then they would say what God said. Right? So when our pastor gets up here, or what I'm doing right now, is prophecy. Okay? It's we have the word of God, and I'm expounding to you the word of God. Okay? That's, that's prophecy. And it says, despise not prophesying. So to, don't treat it lightly. Don't act like it's no big deal. That's the will of God. I want us to consider three things about this. Number one, the accreditation of preaching. Uh, the point of, of preaching is to expound the particulars of practical godly living. That's the purpose of preaching. It's to take the Word of God and apply it to everyday life. All right? The Holy Spirit is going to guide us into all that truth, but God has given us pastors and, and, and preachers um, to expound the particulars about how that we should live practically in this world. Uh, preaching uh, causes us to examine the behavior of our lives. Sometimes we can get in a rut where we read the, the Bible every day and we, and we pray. We, we don't really meditate on the Word of God. We just kind of forget about what we read. And sometimes it takes a pastor at church expounding the Word of God to wake us up and in plain English explain to us that we're not living right. We're, we're not fulfilling the God, God's will in, in some way. Or maybe there's some sin in our lives that we haven't picked up by ourselves in reading the Word of God because we haven't spent the time meditating. We haven't allowed, maybe we've been quenching the Spirit. And it takes a pastor to be expounding the Word of God to realize, oh, I've got this area right here I need to deal with. That's important. And then we have the example of the churches. All throughout the New Testament, it's all about the church. That's what it's about. There was a church in Jerusalem. There was a church in Corinth. There was a church in Macedonia. There was a church in Ephesus. The whole central theme of the New Testament okay, is talking about the church okay, and how they're supposed to conduct themselves in the church. That's what, it's, that's what it's about. And in every church, there was what? A pastor. Okay, everyone. And that was the example of, of the churches. So the, the, the pastor and, and the preaching, all those things, that's, that's very important. That's what Jesus did. He went around in his ministry preaching the Word of God, explaining the Old Testament and the prophets. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. I'm here to fulfill. And he would, he would take passages and he would explain them and expound them. That's what he did. If we were sitting under Jesus' preaching, we would definitely say, oh, no, I would never treat that lightly. That's Jesus preaching. Our pastor is in the place of Jesus. He's gone to heaven. Okay, On earth, he's the, he's the shepherd. He stands in the place of Jesus. Okay, That's important. You can't treat that lightly. So despise not prophesying. The accreditation of preaching throughout the New Testament is very clear. Um, the attention to preaching. This is important. Some things that can cause us to not give the proper attention to preaching and thereby have a light esteem of it would be sleeping during church. That's a good one. I struggle with that one. 
You didn't get enough sleep the night before. Mine's always Thursdays. Long day of work. You come in here. It's quiet. You sit down. Right? Practically, how would you fulfill this commandment to despise not prophesying? Get up and go stand in the back. Stay awake so you can hear and esteem that is prophesying as God would intend for you to do? How about this? Worry. Sometimes you can sit through an entire service and be looking right at the preacher and not be thinking about a word that he's saying because you're worried about something. Oh, what if I can't pay the bills this month? Oh, boy. I just had these uh, extra bills that I wasn't planning on. My, my pipes burst under the house, right? So just know something about that. That, would, that could cause some worry and not be paying attention during church, right? This is mine, work. I, I, during, I'm a manager, okay? So there's a lot of things that fall to me, okay? There are things that other people are supposed to be doing, but if they don't do them, guess whose fault it is? Mine, okay? So maybe I had a long, rough week at work, and there's a lot of outstanding things to do next week. And Sunday, I'm on the job site in my mind. Oh, I'm, I'm here. I'm sitting there listening. Not. My mind's a million miles away thinking about what's going on tomorrow at work. I'm despising prophesying when I do that. There's so many things. Whatever, whatever it might be, keeping our mind, keeping our attention on the preaching. And then this one is obvious, attendance to the preaching. Maybe, maybe, hey, I just don't, I just don't feel like being here on Thursday night. You know, I got, I got other things to do. Well, maybe there was a message there that you've been quenching the Holy Spirit about and God needed you to be here to hear the preaching that night because it was on that topic that you needed to hear about. But you missed it. I can't be here Sunday, Sunday night. It's, it's too much. It's a long day. My back can't take it. Are you going to despise prophesying or are you going to attend church? That's That's important. So despise not prophesying. That's God's will for us to treat that uh, with its due preeminence. It's very important. Number six, we are to prove all things. Prove all things. Everything that we comes across our path in life, we are to prove it. How? What does prove mean? To test, right? to examine it. And we're to examine it according to our best understanding. We are to just seek it out according to all of the gray matter that we have instilled in our highly intelligent brains, and we are to figure out what is the best. No, we're to prove it according to the Word of God. Okay, To do what I just explained previously would be to violate the Scripture. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So we're to prove all things according to the word of God. Everything that comes comes our way, may there, maybe it's something that your boss has asked you to do. Maybe it's something that he's asked your opinion on at work. You know, maybe a strategy that we need to pursue. Is it honest? Maybe if it's not honest, we shouldn't do it because that's against the word of God. Okay? Are you gonna you gotta voice your opinion about that? You gotta prove those things. Um uh, examine them according to the Word of God. Everything comes into into your life. This is especially important uh, for for men, but he doesn't give a gender distinction on this. Okay, we're all supposed to be proving all things according to the Word of God, even the preaching. Okay, when the when the preacher's up here preaching, expounding the Word of God, everything that he says should be according to the Word of God. Okay, that's what he's preaching. He's not preaching his own opinion. He's preaching the Word of God. Right? So you should be proving those things. What does Paul say about the Bereans? He said they were more noble than those at Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things were so. Okay, they just didn't, didn't take everything to like, oh yeah, Paul said it, so it's good enough for me. That's what happened to the Corinthians, right? I'll follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Whatever he says good enough for me, brother. <laughs> No, the Bible says prove all things according to the Word of God. That's, uh, that's God's will. Uh, another way that he said that this, is, this comes up, this concept comes up throughout the New Testament is a phrase called grow in faith. Okay? 
grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Prove all things. It's another way of saying that. It's important to prove all things according to the Word of God so that we can be effective and witness to others. You know, there are times when uh, somebody at work comes up with this bizarre scenario and, you know, we can get stumped sometimes and we don't know the answer to it. What do we need to do? We need to go back to the Word of God and prove all things and figure out about that thing and then go back to them and, and share with them the truth. Uh, so prove all things. That's the will of God. I uh, must hurry. Point number seven, hold fast that which is good. Hold fast that which is good. We have a tendency sometimes, most often we have a tendency when we don't prove all things to not hold fast that which is good. When we get into this rut of, oh, I follow Paul or I follow Paulus or I follow Jason Byler, we can get into this not holding fast that which is good. We can find ourselves holding fast to that which is not good. Okay? The only way that we can be sure that we're holding fast to that which is good we're keeping that which is good as if we are following the Word of God. So th- these two things are kind of linked. That's why he has them in, they're, they're connected in, with just a comma between them because they're, they're kind of linked. They're, they're inseparable. It's important for you to hold fast that which is good to be able to prove all things according to the Word of God. The temptation, uh, there, there's two things that can cause us to stray from this. Uh, the tendency of entropy, if y'all are taking notes, the ten- tendency of entropy, which is what I just said, um, and the temptation of congeniality. Okay, that congeniality is just get along with everybody. Okay, Maybe, you know I don't want to hurt their feelings, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna go along with whatever they said. Oh yeah, you're we're you're Christians too, brother. You know it's it's all good. You don't have to hold to all the doctrines. Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold this other position because. You know, I'm, I'm friends with him. Second uh, Thessalonians 2, uh, verse 2 says, I'm going to turn over there. I'm just going to read the verse, then I'll explain what happens. What happened. Um, he said, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto you, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Okay, I don't know if you guys would notice, but First Thessalonians comes right before Second Thessalonians. Okay, so First Thessalonians came to the church of Thessalonica first. Okay, that's a really complicated point. But First Thessalonians came, and then Second Thessalonians. What did he deal with in First Thessalonians chapter four? The same thing that he explained again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Lord is coming. The next thing on the calendar is the Lord's coming back for his saints. Okay? And in chapter 4, verses 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. So he explains the rapture is going to happen. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, they're all worried about, oh, the, the rapture has already happened and we're in the tribulation. And so he has to explain it all over again. No, the day of the Lord is at hand, and this is what's going to happen. He goes through it again. Why? Why were they so shaken in mind? They didn't hold fast to that which is good. He already told them what's going to happen next. And they got soon shaken because some other, apparently, because he says um, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word or by letter, as from us. Okay, so maybe someone wrote him a, a letter, uh, some other gospel teacher or something wrote him a letter you know trying to tell him other other things um contrary to what they had already received by the hand of the apostle paul and they were shaken on it why because they hadn't they weren't holding fast to that which is good that which they had already received we have the same tendencies ourselves oh well you know they're a good person too like he's a good preacher too and, you know, he says some things that are good, but I'm, so I'm going to hold this other heresy that's against my church, but I'm going to go this way because, you know, I'm friends with him, and it's okay. You need to hold fast that which is good. Um, number eight, abstain from all appearance of evil. Um, in, in this passage, 
this verse is often used as if it if it looks evil, don't do it. Okay. There's some application there. I'm not going to say throw that all out. But uh, the actual interpretation is abstain from everywhere that evil appears. Okay, that's the the proper way to understand that. Okay, so anywhere that evil appears. So this is specifically uh, for the for the church at Thessalonica. Uh, we'll be talking about certain places to stay away from. Okay, during these these uh, people lived in a pagan nation. Okay, worshipped other gods. Okay, so something that they should stay away from would have been the temple. Okay, uh, there was you know prostitution and all that kind of stuff going on in the temple. So that would be somewhere you need to stay away from there. Um, bars, okay, for us, you know, we, there's no excuse for, no reason for us to be in a bar, okay, that's somewhere where evil arises all the time, right, so we're not going to go there. Um, gambling establishments, um, we're going to stay away from Baton Rouge during Mardi Gras, right, okay, there's a lot of evil that shows up at Baton Rouge, in Baton Rouge during Mardi Gras, okay, we're going to stay away from there. Um, and, and this is, this is the will of God, that we stay away from places like this, um, another thing that would that would be more uh, applicable for us is when we go to the beach, right? That's God's creation: white sound and, and beautiful waves and, and sunrise over the beach. That's that's God's creation. We should be able to rejoice in that. We need to be careful when we go out there. Okay. God gave specific instructions about how man is supposed to cover up his nakedness. Men and women are supposed to cover up their nakedness, right? That's evil for us to be looking at that. Uh, so that's something to think about. You know, abstain, abstain from those places uh, during times. Be careful, but use good, sound judgment on those things. Find a place where nobody else is. Um, just a couple things, you know, on appearance. You know, the, the way that we normally hear it um, applied. Abstain from all appearance of evil, anything that looks evil. Um, Maybe taking lunch with somebody of the opposite gender, okay? That might look a little weird, okay? If, if you, any of you guys in the church saw me out at Bojangles with some other girl about my age by ourselves in Bojangles having lunch, okay? You'd be kind of like, that's kind of weird. Like, does Jacqueline know about this? It's kind of, right? It's not wise, right? Living arrangements, okay? That's something to think about, too. Like, who's staying in your house? Are they there with someone of the opposite gender, but alone by themselves? Okay, that's something to think about. Okay, you know that that gives an appearance of evil. Uh, so, and be careful about those things. We're talking about the will of God. The Bible says in in Matthew, and I can't think of the the passage off the top of my head, but it says that when Jesus was telling them a story about uh, a master comes in from the field after working all, or the master comes into the house after um, at dinner time, and the servant's been working in the field all day. And when the master comes in, he tells the servant to go prepare the supper for him. The servant's been working all day, but the master doesn't go and prepare for him. The servant goes and prepares the meal for the master first, and then afterward, the servant takes his meal. He's got to do the, the will of, the, of his master. And Jesus says, does the master then thank him for preparing for his meal first? He says, I trial not. I think not. Because he just did the will of his master. The point is, doing the will of God, that's our reasonable service. To put it another way. That's what God expects of us. We need to take this seriously. And I know what when I when I went through this passage the first time, I, and I just read through all the things. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of stuff. You gotta get overwhelmed a little bit. I and mean, I can't do all that. And that's what God expects of me. There's no way I can do that. Might as well not even try. There's a couple things that I want us to consider as we close tonight. Number one, doing God's will is a present 
action. Doesn't happen in the future, doesn't happen yesterday, happens right now. Matthew 6, 34 says, uh, it's, it's just one of the phrases, I'm not going to have you turn there for the sake of time. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. I don't have to consider what's going to happen tomorrow. I did God's will today. I was at church right here. Pastor asked me to, to challenge you from the Word of God tonight. I'm doing that. I'm doing God's will for me today. You are here in church. You are doing God's will for you today. Tomorrow, you have to do God's will for you tomorrow, in the day, in the present. It's as simple as that. Number two, God does not expect of us something that we cannot do. Looking at all this at one time, it reminds me of maybe getting uh, a task at the beginning of the school year, or maybe maybe a project. My boss hands me a project, and he hands me a roll of plans, build the building. Okay. It's overwhelming. How do I get it done one day at a time? God's not going to give us something beyond our ability to do. And so we just need to do God's will one day at a time. Number three, if we do God's will, it is just what God expects of us. We talked about that. Number four, to do not do God's will brings chastisement. And number five, God's mercy and forgiveness is for, sufficient for our failures. We talked about when the chastisement comes, we repent and get it right, we can continue on doing the will of God. We pick up from there. God doesn't, God doesn't pile our sins. Okay, this is, this is, uh, holds through throughout the, throughout the Bible. He doesn't, he doesn't pile up our sins over here and just keeps adding a list. Okay, when we repent of him, repent of those sins, he puts them away. And then we can continue on doing the will of God from where we left off. It's not an overwhelming task. We can do this because God has commanded us to do it. We have to make the decision, yes, but we've got the Word of God, we've got the Holy Spirit guiding us into all truth. All we have to do is obey each day. Don't look at it as, oh, I've got to eat the whole elephant all at one time. No. Day by day, do the will of God.